Hey, wonderfuls, welcome to episode 500 of the JV Club. Oh my goodness. Well, we made it to 500. Um, if the sound is a little bit different in this episode, it's because I'm recording from uh, up in San Francisco during SF Sketchfest. So that is what's going on there. But I am so excited to be ringing in my 500th episode. Of course, I want to thank my beloved Chris Royce for being involved in the JV Club and JV Club social media and just being a general cheerleader for so many years. All of you um, God, so many of you have been listening to the podcast since the beginning, and I just want you to know that you're on my mind here as I record my 500th intro. And of course, Julian and everybody at Max Fun for creating such a wonderful environment to be a podcaster. So thanks, everybody. This episode, I'm really excited about it. I had a conversation on the Journos podcast with my sweetie Brandon and his podcasting partner, Stephen, and that led to this episode on my podcast. So I would definitely recommend that you listen to our conversation first, but if you can't do that for some reason, go back to it. Uh, it was a really, really fun conversation, and you will find out more about how we sort of entered into this idea and this concept that we talk about in this 500th episode. So it was a totally different Thing I've never done before and it seemed like a really cool way to kind of mark the 500th. The other thing that you will hear throughout the episode is Julian has very sweetly and wonderfully agreed to drop in at various spots some little messages from a few of my friends from high school, many of whom you've heard uh, either on the podcast or heard about, and then also a little something from uh, someone else who knew me when I was a teenager. So enjoy those as well. I hope you will. It meant the world to me that people took time out to uh, put that together for me. So I love you, my dear and wonderful friends and family, and uh, please enjoy the episode. I think you will. This is a very unusual JV club, but it's a very unusual JV club for a couple of reasons. One is that this is my 500th episode, and because it's my 500th episode, I wanted to do something a little unique, and I had kind of a perfect opportunity lay bare in front of me. You all know about my sweetie Brandon. I've talked about him many times. I've also talked about his podcast, Journos, that he does with his uh, partner in crime, Stephen Jackson. And if you are a listener of We Got This with Mark and Hal, you already know who they are, and you may already have an inkling as to what we are doing today. But I am going to fill you in for anybody who doesn't know. So Journos is an amazing podcast. Uh, I love it so much. Uh, Brandon and Stephen are both journalists and their approach to talking about the news, but also talking about the news about the news and just about everything in between. Um, someone once described their podcast as feeling like you were hanging out with very cool, very smart people at a party who actually like wanted to include you in the conversation. That's what their podcast is to me. And they find this these amazing ways of stringing together different ideas that you would never think had anything to do with one another. And then you realize like, oh, wow, this is a really interesting lens through which to look at this other thing. So all this being said, they have also recently started sort of, well, how, why don't you guys put it into your words since it's your service, quote unquote, that you're offering to other podcasts and other folks? Sure. Hi, Janet. Hi, Brandon. 
Hi, Stephen. Hi, Janet. We just woke up, and <laughs> we just woke up on the floor of this podcasting room, and, and I don't know what we're doing. Uh, we are journos, and hello. We uh, have started a service, service or an initiative. Well, we'll call it a service. It's called Journos as a service, and we essentially do for news and information what uh, private detectives used to do for cheating husbands. We go in search of. I bet they still do that. <laughs> yeah, we could do that too. Uh, we go in search yeah. of answers to questions that you might have, mysteries, big and small. So we'll be showing up on podcasts. And Janet came to us on our show with a big question. Yep. It's true. Well, I listened to your episode with Mark and Hal, and I just loved it so much. But I should say I listened to your episodes with Mark and Hal because you started out by having Mark and Hal on your podcast, and they asked their question on your podcast, and then you came on their podcast to answer it and to illuminate them. And so we've done the same thing. About a week ago, we got together and met and talked about a little bit about my podcast. I thought it was, a, from my perspective, a really fun conversation. I find myself to be very fascinating and interesting. So, of course, mm-hmm. yeah. on that <laughs> end, I was uh, pleased, but I was also very pleased by talking to you guys. And I feel really excited to hear what you're going to tell me about what I asked. And I'm tempted to not say too much more than that because I want people to go and listen to the episode of Journos uh, where we the, sort of is the first half of this conversation. That doesn't mean that you won't be of like that you should just stop what you're doing right now. Although feel free to stop what you're doing right now. Go listen to it if you would like to. Um, that you won't be able to follow follow along. But I feel like that's a, it's a key component of kind of what we're doing here today. Yeah, I think that's fair. We wanted to answer a question about the sort of recurring theme that goes throughout all of the episodes of the JV Club, which is what do all these people have in common and what do you talk about a lot? And something about the nature of having these awkward teen years and the experiences that they had and why those seemed like they were so unique and so special to the people, why they are considered formative as opposed to like we only do a podcast about uh, you know, people being 27 and what happened <laughs> in your 27th year. Yeah. So it did raise the question of like, well, what is a teenager? What does it even mean? Exactly. What does it even mean, Stephen? Yes. What, what, is it, what did it mean, Brandon? I'm still figuring that out about my own teenage experience. As I imagine that many people are. We dug around a little bit in order to get a bit clearer of a perspective on kind of those nuts and bolts of being a teenager. I actually reached out to an MFT who I know in the Bay Area who's worked predominantly with teenagers and adolescents throughout his career and also works with couples and some adults and stuff too. So um, I, I, I tracked him down after many years and had a... I was going to say NFT. It almost sounded like you said NFT. like, And now people are NFTs, which isn't that surprising. Marriage and family therapist. Awesome. That was going to eat Ooh. at me. We had a little mystery inside our mystery for a second. Right. There you go. Yes. So anyway, so he was a great guy. He sold me this digital coin. Uh-huh. <laughs> run away. Steven, run away. And bada bing, bada boom, teenagers. No, Bye. It, ha- oh, okay. it, it happened again. Oh, um, so he is a marriage and family therapist who's really worked predominantly in the space that involves teenagers, right? And oh, it, cool. It, yeah. And so I, I was able to pick his brain a little bit, and that was very fun. You, it's all. I should also note that before and actually during the very early years of me starting to do local reporting, I was a high school teacher for 10 years. I worked 
in ninth to 12th grade for almost the entire time. And I worked with students with mild to moderate disabilities. And that sort of ranged from everything from ADHD to reading disabilities to uh, emotional sort of disturbances and in everything in between. So uh, people uh, living with autism, the whole gamut of folks who are having a little bit of trouble. People who need a little extra attention, people who, for whom the kind of traditional method of learning doesn't necessarily may may not satisfy in the same way that it should totally yeah so i i guess i just wanted to note that because i always i've never been able to not see things through that lens ever after having uh worked in that space so um, and thank you i I mean i was about to say thank you for your service which sounds very like (laughs) military salute but um you you know my i've said it many times everyone knows my parents were teachers and um i know how hard that is uh rewarding but very hard and so um yeah i'm always uh, that's a that's a that's a that's a hero's work right there it was fun too i mean that, that's the thing it would it, yeah, I, I had oh, a sure. blast i mean my parents it, you know? loved yeah. teaching neither one of them if you're not meant to be a teacher or maybe you know i think some people are meant to be teachers for certain periods of time in their lives and then mm-hmm. and that's incredibly invaluable some people are meant to do it forever and some people aren't meant to do it at all um and my parents both like felt they just felt called to it forever so yeah i definitely i i agree with you that it's you can be passionate and and have a great time and also have it be like incredibly taxing and oh so, yeah 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 no it was it Good was rough you. and it was time to go and then I went so anyways but now I'm but now you're my teacher and hey. so Brandon but also Boom. both of your parents I'm just putting this together both of your parents worked with teenagers as like correct their career. Just <laughs> that's exactly endless right. cycle I never thought about teenagers. it yeah. I mean I've I mean I've I've thought about it in the context of constantly talking about my parents being high school teachers yeah. but I've never thought about it. In the context of me choosing to be interested also in teenagers. That's right. Yeah. How their That's weird really little funny. brains work. Yeah. We had to think about the question of how do you answer such a big question? And that was, you know, what was fun and what was tricky. It's huge. You know, it's like, what is a shoe? I mean, yeah. I guess in a way, don't think about that too much. But it was a big question that had a lot of possible answers. And so in order sure. to break it down, Stephen and I like to default to a little thing we call science. Love it. Big fan of science. Yeah. One of the things that I was really interested in, it was based on something that I had heard some years ago and wanted to see if it was true, which was that the idea of a teenager, the concept of adolescence and all that stuff, is actually a fairly recent invention. Really? Yeah. We think of, you know, the teenager as this particular kind of developmental stage between straight up childhood and straight up adulthood and it's like well this is this period when you're you know an idiot uh-huh. <laughs> uh not to boil down your podcast too much uh but you know when you're doing things that that seem so clearly like well you can't be treated like a child and you can't be prosecuted as an adult yet but in thank fact, god <laughs> yeah more or less <laughs> depending on the state you're in so the teenager is a fairly recent invention in the grand scheme of things and in fact, if you think about what the teenager is, what it represents, what it does, it really all started after, not the first, but the second, World War, World War II. Uh, all this stuff was swirling around. And before then, in the Great Depression, you would actually have kids working, you know, young people, teenagers who were treated as an adult, uh, who would be working alongside, you know, older adults in jobs that now there's just no way we would put a kid to do. Yeah. So... All of that changed after the Second World War for a couple of reasons. 
Um, one was that mass media came along, right? TV, radio, all of those things. And that recognized that there was a very strong market in this weird cohort of people who were really fascinated by music and art hmm. and bright colors. And then connected to that it was the idea that you can also sell stuff to these people. So mm. not only are they interesting to make stuff for, but of course they have this, all of a sudden, this tremendous economic power that all of these advertisers want to appeal to. So all of a sudden, media comes along and immediately starts talking to this group of, of people who have enough development to have opinions and, and things they want, but don't have full-time jobs yet. Mm. So that means they get saddled with their parents. And so the kids want something, they appeal to the parents, and then the parents are sort of in thrall to, uh, to these teens. So that was one thing. This is from a book called Hitmakers. It came out in 2017 by Derek Thompson, who is an editor at The Atlantic. He said there were kind of three things that happened. One was compulsory public education for kids. Um, between the 20s and 30s, all of these kids in high school went up. So all of a sudden, a lot more people in school creating their own culture, creating their own social life, and not working alongside parents. Second thing was the economic boom, as I said. After the war, all of a sudden, there's all of this money that's available because people have good jobs, and kids are demanding you spend it on them. Third thing is the car, right? Teenagers uh. were able to go out, kind of like with high school. They could go out and have their own lives. And then that all fed back into this mass media thing of like, well, we can tell stories about kids being in cars. You can think about all the stuff from the 50s and 60s where the car was a symbol of freedom and where teenagers are having adventures and all of that stuff. So you sort of have this growing conception of this being who is more interesting and more dynamic than a little child, um, but is not quite an adult because there's all these social structures around them, like they live at home and they don't have jobs. And so that was sort of the beginning of this concept. And then all of that stuff was extremely valuable. So you have this kind of self-reinforcing mechanism where they mm. have economic power and they're controlling the media in a way. And they're just sort of building up this weird social structure. Uh, first of all, this is all fascinating. and I feel super embarrassed that I don't really think of like being a teenager as being a particularly new concept, but everything you're saying makes absolute sense. It's, I, I was having, the, like, as I was listening to you, I was sort of having this little tiny backward, uh, back of my mind conversation with myself. Like, I mean, I because I think of like the jazz age as mm -hmm. being this sort of very modern, I mean, we call, you know, Art Deco, we think of still as kind of looking modern. So I, whenever I think of like, if you, like if I, if you had said that it hadn't existed before the twenties, I would have, immediately bought that but i was i can't i was almost trying to push back in my mind like well but i know but like flappers remember uh and then i was like wait none of that has anything to do with teenagers <laughs> like there, there's nothing about that 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 gives rise to this idea of like a teenage life and a sort of teenage identity um and so that totally makes sense and and so with that being said like even just the idea of thinking thinking about like Eastern culture or like like Russian culture post World War II, the idea of being like really looking across to America and 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 what it had to offer as a teenager, like it just makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. like East Germany, like that, like the idea of being a teenager in a country where you're not 
really considered a teenager yet because mm-hmm. it's not a westernized culture it's not a capitalist culture so it's not acknowledging the same age group but you have enough of an awareness because of mass media something's trickling in to where a 16 year old in moscow might not be having this, the experience that a 16 year old in america is and that's really the the time in which we also are taught of this idea of like people behind the iron curtain being like oh, elvis like you know what I mean? Like cars, teeny bop, like sock hops. And so it's really interesting because I'm realizing that now. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that is that time frame. Like yeah. starting, you know, starting at the end of World War Two, like the idea of seeing teenagers from the outside and being fascinated because you're not classified as a teenager yet. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. Definitely. It's really interesting. And too, when you think about your guests throughout the years that you've had on the podcast and a lot of the stuff that comes up is echoes of those themes right like a lot of it is talking about stuff that you wanted to buy stuff that you wanted to listen to sure. stuff that you mm-hmm. wore ways that you could get away like you know we sort of just continue to iterate that yeah. stuff and have a recognition that like oh people were really selling us stuff they really wanted us to you know buy these things and our response was like, well, I'm going to, I'll buy your Converse, but I'm going to draw on them with uh-huh. a magic marker and show you. <laughs> right, right. I'm yeah. fool. There's also, what you also, I think, point out is that the, 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 how arbitrary the idea of, you know, being 18 and then, uh, and then you're an adult really is, no. right? Or, yes. or any of yeah. these like sort of like a, the, the fact that we sort of superimpose this set of ages onto a group of people and say, okay, that's your teenager. That's, those are your teenage years. And as soon as you turn, you know, the clock strikes midnight on that calendar date on your 18th birthday, it's over. Welcome to adulthood. And that is actually... Uh, it, the, people don't know exactly when the brain stops to, or it really truly is fully kind of cooked. Um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of different thoughts on that, but I did come across a piece in the New York Times where uh, April Alexander, a psychology professor at the University of Denver, was asked about that exact question. And she reiterated there's no clear answer, but many folks could now say that our brains don't really fully develop until about age 25. So right there, that's just like, okay, so 18 doesn't really mean anything. And then I kind of started going down the rabbit hole a little bit more about like, well, what the heck is this 18 thing? And and I think in addition to all of the reasons that Brandon laid out about how and why teenagers were like defined as such, the age of 18 as the age that you're able to legally vote actually has kind of an interesting history too, mm. because up until basically the 70s, many states had the minimum voting age set at 21 and um partially at least the reason behind that minimum voting age going down to 18 was result of the vietnam war um because it, it that really pushed the issue if you were young enough to be drafted into that war then you should at least be old enough to vote so y- y- there's a lot of i think when we think about how we define teenagers as a society, it's really fascinating when you start thinking about all the other things that come into play. Because sure. when when you're a teenager, you're just told you're a teenager, and so you grow up believing, like, oh, well, this is this is exactly how it has to be. But it's not really backed up biologically. I don't know. It's crazy. So 
So like I mentioned at the start of the show, we are going to give you a little peek into me as a teenager from some of the people who knew me best. Here are my friends Sarah, Jen, and Derek. Sarah and I became really, really close in high school and have stayed friends ever since. Jen, I have known since fourth grade, and she is also one of my dearest, dearest friends in the world. And Derek, I've known since first grade, which you'll find out a little bit more about in this upcoming voicemail. And he's amazing. This is Sarah B. Hey, Janet. It's Jen. Janet, happy 500th episode. What an incredible accomplishment. I've been trying to think of some good memories of our time in school together. We've known each other since first grade, so there's a lot to choose from. Janet and I became good friends junior year of high school, and here are some stream of consciousness memories. Jamocha's shakes and potato cakes. Blue Willow for fancy occasions. Night hiking in Sabino Canyon, sneaking into various pools and neighborhoods throughout town and swimming really late at night. Thrift stores, me driving, lights off, fast down Swan, your clean room and my very messy room, you bringing much better music to the table. Mm, Hide and go seek anywhere and everywhere, kind of. Your dad, our English teacher. Maybe the most standout teacher was your dad, who I knew as Mr. Varney. The only thing I do remember is that it involved uh, Canterbury Tales, and I was wearing uh, some kind of a a cocktail dress. There was a slideshow. I know there was also another one where I had to wear a toga. So there was a lot of, I guess, dramatic play going on in English, but I remember we all had uh, such a, a wonderful time. I feel like on a daily basis, an English class, we sat right next to each other, and Like I would turn around and we would both start, we would both cross our eyes and start talking to each other. I couldn't see your eyes crossed because my eyes were also crossed and vice versa. And yet we would do that every day and crack ourselves up until the teacher made us stop. I just feel like that epitomizes like how silly you are and how much fun we have and had and have. And I love you. We did okay plus by each other. So again, congratulations and um, be well. Wonderful, so I'm just checking in to let everyone know that I am still queen of the world in the eyes of many of my friends and family who received wild grain goods from me for New Year's and Christmas this year. The only question is whether or not they're going to expect something like that every week, and I wouldn't blame them if they did, because it's truly, truly wonderful. Wild Grain is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, and I mean, they are so artisanal in the best possible way. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. Plus for every new member, Wild Grain donates six meals to the Greater Boston Food Bank. So you can eat good and do good all at the same time. I'm still fantasizing about the pain au chocolat or chocolate croissants that came in my Wild Grain box. And I did very reluctantly give most of them away. But as a kid who grew up with a French professor slash teacher for a mom who regularly let us indulge in truly French baked pastries from a tiny little French family bakery in Tucson, Arizona. I can tell you that these are just as good. What can I say? It shares this delicious pain au chocolat DNA with wild grain. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissant in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash jvclub to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissant in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash jvclub. 
That's wildgrain.com slash jvclub, or you can use promo code jvclub at checkout. Bon appetit. Hey, let us guess. You love books, but wish you had more time to read. Or maybe you used to read a lot, but life has gotten in the way. Kids, grad school, you name it. Maybe you don't know where to start, and bookish social media is overwhelming. How do people on TikTok read so many books? Oh my God, I don't know. And maybe you've been reading the same book for six months, and now it's permanently attached to your bedside table. Maybe you don't even know what you like to read anymore. We're reading glasses, and don't worry, we got you. We'll get you back into reading and help you enjoy books again. Reading glasses, every week on Maximum Fun. Just hearing you say what you said about the voting agent stuff, just and and coupling that with Brandon, what you were saying about you know consumerism and the the identifying things that that the machine can benefit from, like just sort of, I mean, it's not surprising at all. She said, putting in a copy of Pink Floyd's The Wall and just like <laughs> getting stoned and gazing <laughs> off at it, like yeah, man, capitalism. <laughs> but just this idea of like reverse engineering adolescence or reverse engineering the psychology aspect of it because that's the least important to the the institution or to like the the fabrication that's become bigger than its parts like the idea of like well what's best for the country is that we send a bunch of young people to go off and fight and die um i guess with that in mind maybe we should let people vote i'm like you know i mean bear in mind like <laughs> they could still get married yeah. you know what I mean? like there's the idea that there would be a state that's like you could marry at 14 you can't vote until you're yeah. 21 yeah. but you can it's go to war at 18 yeah. <laughs> is like but it still feels like it's like that there are still things in america that would determine how you identify someone or classify someone that have very little to do with the emotional physical psychological needs of an individual you know what i mean for sure yeah i mean how, poor you teenagers know. man poor yeah. teenagers poor teenagers we're just trying to figure it out Ugh. But yeah, the idea that it's politically expedient to say, well, we got to send somebody to war. Yeah. Might as well send these kids. Might as well make these kids adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, or yeah, well, and I, and I guess we might as well let them vote. Yeah. Well vote. Like if, we're, if we could do that, you know, then I guess we could let them vote. And then, it, you know, folks, according, this was actually, the, the, this other part was according to a Slate article was like, it was sort of brought up that teenagers at that time were also starting to become more politically active mm. and more conscious about the world around them so that it also made maybe per, perhaps more sense to raise that vote or to lower the voting age to 18 yeah. too. So again, still external factors that are at play mm. at this thing that a teenager is just from the moment that person has consciousness, they're they're kind of told that they are going to enter this period of teenage, yeah. teenage dumb or whatever it is. And when you're in it, you're like, oh, man, you know, I'm just a teenager. You never question yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Well, and Brandon, you said something just in our lives off camera yesterday. Uh, I think it was yesterday that really stuck with me, which is, um, I don't know, the way you put it. Do you remember how you put it? You were just talking about how when you're when you're a teenager or any age, you can't, it's almost like you can't prove a negative, right? Like you, like you think you're the fullest version of yourself oh, yeah. that you'll ever be because yeah. you because you are up to that moment like it yeah. was, it was you're, very you're always 100% of yourself but that's cuz we were talking about 
this recognition of talking to younger people and very smart younger people who, you know, and I'm saying like people in their teens and 20s who are very smart and can have a conversation with you. And I just sort of would notice that there would be not gaps in conversation, but just sort of gaps in their knowledge base where, you know, you can talk to somebody who has lived and just has more experience at their disposal that they can bring up. And so there's sort of a richness to conversation that's not just intellectual. That's not just about learning. That's experiential. But they can't feel that. You know, when you're... You can't feel the absence of that. You're 100% of yourself at 15. You're 100% of yourself at 45. But it's hard to recognize at 15 that there's this gulf between you and this other person. Yeah. But you can recognize it or sort of sense it in the other direction where you're like, oh, this person... And, you know, you can certainly sense it like if someone's really immature, you're like, oh, well, that's just because. But even with a very mature person who's very smart, you can still sort of sometimes sense like, oh, there's just things that you don't know yet. You haven't gone through yet. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of fascinating to to experience that. But it's hard to... Yeah, again, it's just you can't you can't sense the voice. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. And Stephen, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because, to be honest with you, we were talking about, and I don't mean this in like a, a reductive, like pat someone young on the head way, but we were. I think it came about, or at least in part, came about because it, somewhere in conversation, someone had brought up the fact that this person was very young and was was seeing, for example, their professor. Now, I that was something that I facilitated when I was, uh, it was like my second time around in college, so I was in my early 20s. And maybe this is a, a girl thing, but again, I don't want to be too reductive about that. But Stephen, like, when when we talk about a 45-year-old person dating a 17-year-old person, um, the 17-year-old is not going to feel like they're too young. Like they're just like I don't feel like that's a thing. I mean, maybe some folks would, but if you yeah. if you're if you've already gotten yourself into that situation, you you're a hundred. But like Brandon was saying, you're a hundred percent yourself. You're a hundred percent of your full self, and you're like, I'm bringing it all to the table. I'm very yeah. mature. I look at my peers. I feel like maybe I'm even a little more mature than they are, and I feel this deep connection with this person who's forty five. Like you're not going to feel the gulf until they start talking about like old Barney Miller episodes or whatever, and you're like <laughs> me, like what the fuck are you talking about? But that's cultural, right? That's sort of right. intellectual. Yeah. So I, it's just it's like that's part of the kind of like not blaming a younger person, quote unquote, for like seducing someone or for because they're never going to perceive it the way you do as you get older. And I see that now because I'm older. And so now I've become that person who's like, when you're my age, you'll understand <laughs> that you think you're so smart. But I, I think part of the reason that I've enjoyed doing the podcast and that I feel almost like in the same way being a teacher, I think keeps you connected to younger people in some kind of way. I kind of feel like it helps me to not become that person or to be very, very aware of whether or not I'm that person because I still feel so close to my own teenage years from talking so much about other people's teenage years with them. And I feel close to other people's teenage years that I feel like I'm at less risk of being like, oh, kids, like you don't understand. I feel like I'm like, no, I feel like I understand exactly how you feel because I can sort of project myself back into that young version of myself but at the end of the day, I can't do anything about the fact that I've had all this experience since then, and I do feel protective of you. 
like you know what I mean to yeah. a teenager that you're like you so I feel like I can kind of see it from all angles and mm-hmm. um and I, I I hope I never lose that and I have so much respect for adults who are working with teenagers because I feel like we need those bridges like oh, we yeah. need those bridges you know I, I have so I have so much so much to say about all that. I, <laughs> you talk now. You talk now. No, well, I, I think that like, um, so I did spend my entire twenties into my early thirties going to a high school, um, yeah. uh, every day. You know, as a as a younger teacher, because and then you as, failed out of school because I just had to <laughs> keep going. You back. posed as a teacher so <laughs> that you could finally get your degree. Finally, they had to escort you off the campus. It, 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 it was a sad day. The I, I, but if you think about it, like from the time I was like six years old until the time I was like thirty two or thirty three years old or later, you know, however old I was, I think it was like 33 or 34, I had never left a traditional educational environment. Like, I was in kindergarten. Oh, my God, you and my dad would get on, like, a house on fire for that reason and more. (laughs) But it's, like, it's crazy because then I went to college right after that, and then I was, like, kind of in between stuff, like, for, like, eight months out of college, and then I started substitute teaching, and then from there it was just go time. And I do believe that um, it really provided me with this um, priceless perspective on, on on what it means to be a teenager and to continue to feel connected to sort of that um, really important creative sense of wonderment that exists in those teenage years. Yes. Because I, and, and I really felt like I, I was able to keep something for a little bit longer than some of my other, you know, at one time peers who then went directly into some form of workforce, right? And I feel like yeah. it really allowed my brain to stay a lot more elastic and a lot more creative in, in many different ways. I also believe that, like, in America specifically, one of the biggest areas still where we find, like, deep... um like deep divisions that are just built into society is around age because we mm-hmm. be, and if you think about it like unless you are a licensed professional once you become an adult it is just not acceptable and in many cases i want to have this sort of disclaimer in many cases for really 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 important good reasons to protect children right. for some of the reasons that you sort of touched upon earlier that kids aren't necessarily going to always know what's wrong or right and in a person who's had more experiences really will so a lot of those the laws that are in place to sort of separate youth from adults are there for good reasons however if you think about it it's like not okay if you're a 26 year old person to be like out to coffee with a 16 year old right like like in society that just like does not occur unless they are part of your immediate family or like very close family friends and i think being a teacher having also gone through the right degree of training to make sure that and vetting that it's like yes you we are granting you this responsibility and ability to be interacting with these people who are still in their teens i think by doing that you can you sort of leapfrog over this really really rigid barrier that still exists in society and so for that i feel really lucky to have spent all those years as a teacher Oh my God, absolutely. And it's funny, that brings up from, well, first of all, I'm going to say, I'm going to check in with you in 14 years to see how this has affected you being a dad. Oh, yeah. And then also, Brianna, I don't know if you saw it, maybe you saw it, Stephen, but there was something recently in the New York Times about, uh, there was like a feature on a woman, uh, I'm sure she's like, of course, she's Swedish or Danish, but there, she she had written, she's written a couple of books. And I think there's something, they featured her recently because there's a sort of 
I wish I could remember. You, now this is going to be my next episode with you guys because this is the mystery that has to be solved. Although that probably could just be looked up on the internet. <laughs> uh, but anyway, she wrote it. She she's the the sort of overreach of the overarching concept is the idea of being like exuberantly old um mm. and sa- continuing to say yes to things and one of the things that comes up in the profile about her in the interview with her is that she as you know an 87 year old or whatever again do not remember what her name is um she spends a lot of time with young people and not in in a structured like i am a teacher kind of way but in just a way of like how do i stay around young people and that yeah. same kind of idea was brought up was like it's just not we just separate by age so often and i will add to that and 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 that the like everyone benefits from spending time around like it's a different situation being with a rad non-relative woman your grandma's age yep. who is just going to i mean and by the way you can have a rad grandma i'm not saying that at all but like when i think about my own grandmother i don't know that that was like, and I would hang out with her if she weren't my grandma. Like, I want to believe I would because I love my grandma with all my heart, but I'll never know. You know what I mean? I'll mm-hmm. never know if 16-year-old me would have wanted to spend as, t- as much time with her. But if it was an outside woman, and I, like, I don't know, I just feel like she, she benefits, I benefit, we all benefit from understanding that about each other. And that is one of the things I love about show business. Totally. Because you are surrounded by people of all ages, and there's a lot of like, peer stuff that happens that erases those lines to your point sometimes in ways maybe it shouldn't but also in really great ways where i can hang out with a 15 year old and be like you're awesome and they're like you're awesome and then we go when we both go over to crafty and the woman who runs crafty is 70 and we're like you're awesome yeah like it that that's a really one of my favorite things about about being in this business like for reals well, what both of y'all are talking about that I think is funny is that you're finding these ways to get around the artificial separation that we have now put upon us. Like kids, little kids go here, teenagers go here, and then adults go here. And Unless then, you're me and then I'm at the kids' table every Thanksgiving because that's where I want to be. <laughs> yeah, and then when you're older, you're shunted off somewhere else, whereas for most of human history, we all were in the same place. You would watch somebody, because you lived in the same community, you would watch someone from birth to death and so you would have interactions with all ages at all time and that was because that enables you to be all ages at all times yeah you know what i mean like you can kind of be you can be you can be a teenager when you're 50 when you're yeah 70 when you're 90 and it erases some of those distinctions and it erases some of the like ageism and disrespect Mm -hmm, of our elders too because you're not just like you know assuming that they're losing functionality or won't understand you or or will think that you know we'll be too conservative or whatever it cuts in every possible way that you know that that we that we miss out on a great deal of generational wisdom in either direction by you know sort of approaching how we set up like capital c communities at large like this i i you know yeah it's so funny i i do have one of the most important people in my entire life is a woman named claudette sutherland who is in her 80s who i've known since she lived below us in the apartment complex in new york when in, in the 80s and she was my parents best friend and she's the only person who i've known she's the third person i've known third longest since my mom and dad and mm-hmm. she's creative and wonderful and fascinating and has been such an important creative uh, sort of inspiration for me my entire life. She was in the original Broadway performance of How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. She's like had this wonderful 
unbelievable life. And I've and I've learned so much from her from the time I was a kid. And now that we remain friends and now peers as adults with, yeah. you know, 40 plus years between us, it, it I, 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 I true, I think about that relationship all the time. I thought about it for sure with, with what you were just saying now, Janet, and, and you're right, Brandon, that it, we, we are, we, we are really shuttled into all these different boxes in this very artificial way. And I think that there's, it causes a lot of problems. And to get back to the idea of how it could cause problems for teenagers, you know, this whole idea that, again, when you're 18, you're ready to start making these like big time life decisions. That's not based on any science because what, it, what what folks will point out if you talk to people um, who work with teenagers is that their brains just aren't developed in a such in such a way where they are truly able to make long term decisions about the future. Right? They're still yeah. in this space where it's like shiny object. I'm going to do you know what what's immediately sounds good. You know that's another the problem. raccoon years. <laughs> the, the raccoon, raccoon years. years and. Yeah. You know, way back to um, how I think about, you know, maybe a a, a younger uh, student in college, you know, dating a professor. I think the 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 issue that I feel like gets a little dicey there is that is when you get into the idea of brain development and you can't really fault that student because, again, you are exactly who you are. You don't know what you don't know. However, in many cases you know is someone a great deal older could know that and then at what point is like the power dynamic there leveraged right. in sort of a way that's unfair to the younger person because of just like what they got going on in between their ears right and yeah this was something that i was <clears throat> kind of this was something that i asked uh, the marriage and family therapist with whom I spoke about being a teenager and adolescence, etc. Again, yeah. his name's Dennis Barron. He he works in in the Bay Area. So I I asked, well, what is it specifically about? They're more predisposed to make some bad decisions based on like not really thinking things through. And um, to that, he said this. Two things come to mind. One is just brain development. The part of the brain behind your forehead, the frontal cortex, is not fully online yet. That's the part of the brain that says, like, maybe I shouldn't jump off that cliff. Mm -hmm. No, into the water because, like, I could get hurt. Or you know, maybe ninety-five is a little fast because it's raining. Mm -hmm. You know, that part of the brain when we're adults and we're like, yo, I got to get to that appointment. If I go ninety-five, I can get there on time. But uh, it's been raining lately. Uh, you know what? I'll just be late because I know that if I'm ten minutes late, it's they'll probably still take me. That whole thought process yeah. is not there when you're a teen. So it's like the gas pedals there, the brakes are just not fully developed. I think that's a great analogy for that. The gas pedal's there, but the brakes aren't. Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's interesting because once you've lived through being a teenager, if you are able to connect yourself back to that place, it's also sometimes hard not to insert your own development and your own maturity into that you just sort of try to stuff it back into your memories and go like, well, I never would have made that stupid of a decision. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? Because you can't separate mm -hmm. your right. consciousness that yeah. you've collected through through time. Um, and I feel like I spend, and that 
the reason I'm saying this is because, as Brandon knows, and as everyone who listens to podcasts regularly knows, I do have an interest in like criminal justice reform and true crime and um, wrongful convictions and all of that. And 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 that is definitely very connected to the idea of like young people being tried as adults and um, what kind of accountability we place on on people who are you know in yeah their early twenties and, and below. Like I think that we as a culture love to like. It, try to infuse our memories of ourselves as teenagers with the consciousness we have as adults and are like, well, I never would have done that. I would never yeah. have made that decision. I would never have killed someone when I was 15 years old. This person's a psychopath. They yeah. need to be in prison for the rest of their lives. They're never going to be a safe you know, person to have in society and all that. And so these conversations are so important for that reason as well is that they can have like huge implications on whether like we have to as a culture, as a, as a democracy, whatever we are these days, uh, we have to really listen to our experts and bear those things in mind before we just throw people away. Because yeah. I don't care if you think now you wouldn't have made that decision. Like, you don't know this person's circumstance, and you certainly don't know their psychopathy or lack thereof. And the idea that, you know, you're judging them as the adult you are you know, and by the way, they're not going to get judged by 15 year olds in a jury. So like all of that is sort of messy. Speaking of messy. No, and but, but, you know, the idea of a show called Teen Jury is <laughs> awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a great idea. Teen, and they teen get to judge. try the adults. What about, what about jury high school? <laughs> you're jury in high, high school, school, but you're learning how to be a good juror because we also don't teach our yeah. jurors enough before they have to make huge decisions about people's lives. Yeah. So yep. it's a high school full of kids who are just learning how to be juries. Mm-hmm. Nice. Next door, Hijinks and stew. The yeah. next door is teens learning to be lawyers. Uh-huh. Yep. Teen lawyers, yeah. Teen lawyers. This is going to be great. Yeah. This is just <laughs> as good as vampires and werewolves as teens. Don't it worry. It basically is. Yeah. Well, and that's the other tricky thing about, you know, the teenage years and the early 20s is you can't necessarily sense those differences. Again, like I was saying earlier, you know, I only just realized in having a conversation with someone recently who's very smart, I was like, oh, there's something that's, that is missing in the conversation, which is like just your life experience. But it's hard to spot that stuff in a way that it's really easy to see, you know, why is a nine-year-old not an adult? Like you can just right. sort of, that stuff is so yeah. evident. But what you can't tell is the nuances of brain development. Like Stephen, like your friend Dennis said, um, you know, the frontal lobes are not fully connected. There's still a lot of, you know, sort of looseness uh, in the part of the brain that controls decision making. But, but it's really hard for people to conceive of that the yeah, same way yeah. you can, like, you don't have as much hair under your armpits or totally. you haven't grown, you're not tall yet or whatever. Right. It's yeah. it's a lot harder. Yeah, you're so right, Brandon. Like, it's just really hard to conceive of that in yeah. the same kind of way. And the idea that the part of your brain that controls pleasure is fairly overdeveloped at that point this again this comes from the book by Derek Thompson I mentioned earlier but he points out you have this unfortunate collision of an underdeveloped decision making and an overdeveloped pleasure seeking so that stuff that an adult would say I'm not going to do that somebody younger is like yes let's do that and consequently you have (laughs) teens who are more inclined toward risk taking behavior and higher mortality rate says Americans between 15 and 19 have a mortality rate that's about three times higher than those 5 to 14. So there's mm-hmm. just this period where you spike and those things... I remember that. I mean, I remember, yeah. all, I mean, I remember yeah. making a lot of really bad decisions and just feeling not like, not feeling like 
nihilistic, not feeling like re- like knowingly reckless, but just sort of I can sort of look back and feel like there's just an absence where mm-hmm. fear should be. And by the way, I was a fairly fearful teen, yeah. so I can't explain that at all. Like I, you know, yet, you know, it's like, oh, I was afraid of X, Y, Z, but like I had zero issue like hopping on a motorcycle with someone yeah. I wasn't sure was a good driver and just yeah. without a helmet being like, let's go 80. You, like, you I can't explain the, that now. Yeah, You weren't afraid of the stuff you were supposed to be afraid of. Exactly it was like, right. It, That's exactly and, right. And, you know, I think this, we, I, I'd constantly run into this teaching high school too, where you would have some sort of more traditional or old school teachers, you know, ask me about some student who was on my caseload and say, well, why why wouldn't they just insert, and then X, Y, Z, insert something very rational and like um, conservative that somebody in their early 40s might do. And it's like, well, because they're not, that's that's not where that person's at. So it's really this, it's so futile to try to superimpose your own like worldview onto somebody who it, who just is not there developmentally yet. However, that happens a lot because young kids can get themselves into super adult situations and yes. they can get them, yep. but, but they don't have that, the, the, the equipment to sort of get them out of it. Um, yeah. Great point. And I think about it, it and, and then it makes you think about how ridiculous it is that we place more pressure on teenagers than almost any other group of people. Maybe the mm. only other group of people are like in the business world in some like cutthroat industry and you like have to exceed or succeed or society and your peers and your professional peers are going to think you're a failure. Like maybe there's something in, in that world that has like a matched sense of, or that has like an equal amount of pressure, but like universally, I don't think we, as a society, pressure one group more than teenagers, which is crazy. Okay, one more hop into the Wayback Wishing for you to learn about Teenage JV. Here is my dear, dear, dear friend, Such, my dad, and my amazing friend, Torin. Hi, Janet. Hey, Janet, it's Torin. Hi, Miss J. For your listeners on your podcast, that's the name I gave you as sort of a term of endearment when you were a little girl. Congratulations on 500 episodes of the JV Club. The best thing that I had in my teaching career was the last full year that I was teaching, and you and so many of your friends who had been guests in our house we're all in my senior advanced placement English class at Rincon High School in Tucson, Arizona. And it was just a terrific year and a great way to go out for me as a teacher after 26 years. I've compiled a kind of stream of consciousness list of impressions that have stayed with me over the many years. Uh, so I did find um, your entry, what you wrote in my yearbook. Here we go. Cliches, number one. A lot has happened this year. Searching for the perfect journal and discussing what makes the perfect journal. Lined or unlined, big or small, hardback or bendy. Number two, we've been through a lot together. Number three, there have been ups and downs, mostly ups. Steve Martin and our undying love for LA Story. Greasing along at my house, skinny dipping during a summer meteor shower. Number four, 
We'll be seniors next year. Number five, our friendship has been special for the past number sign years. Trading in CDs at Bookman's and going through every single CD in the racks so we didn't miss any hidden treasures, just like we did with the racks of clothing and jewelry at our favorite thrift stores. And last cliche I have is the truest and simple manist thing I can say, and then in quotes, I just want to hold you. I don't want to hold you down. I love you as always, Janet. Every feeling we felt was so honest and intense and raw. High school was incredibly painful and confusing and isolating at times. But the laughter and joy were also honest and intense and raw. Just remembering laughing with you all makes the muscles in my face feel warm and alive and wonderfully sore. So thanks for that Graham Nash shout out and um, for your thoughts. Congratulations on 500 episodes. That is the epitome of high school to me. Congratulations again, my friend. Really, really proud of you. Congratulations on your 500th podcast. I'm so proud of you. I love you so very much. Wonderfuls, I'm back to talk more blonde medicine. This week, I'm excited to talk about the debut album from Valerie Tosi called Beach Trash. Valerie Tosi's Beach Trash is available to stream everywhere, and you can get it on super cool, transparent, magenta, one of my favorite all-time colors, vinyl. Blonde Medicine has put out all sorts of great albums from folks like Kenise Mobley, Suba Agarwal, Anika Dell, Amy Miller, Irene Too. And I gotta go ahead and give an extra shout out to Valerie, who in addition to being a fantastic stand-up comedian, was also on an episode of Stand Against Evil and kicked ass. So I know her as a fantastic and funny actress. Check out BlondeMedicine.com slash MaxFun to browse a selection of stand-up LPs and use code JVGlub at checkout to get 20% off your entire order. I have just named a litany of brilliant comics. You gotta go to BlondeMedicine.com slash MaxFun and give this great company and those wonderful stand-ups some love. Remember to use the code JVGlub at checkout to get 20% off your entire order. Which animal has the most bones? Why isn't Pluto a planet? Why are bees electrically charged? Let's find out together on our show, Let's Learn Everything, where we learn anything and everything interesting. My name's Caroline, and I studied biodiversity and conservation. My name's Tom, and I studied computer science and cognitive blah blah blah. blah. Mm, did you? <laughs> <laughs> and my name's Ella, and I studied stem cells and regenerative medicine. On our show, we do as much research as you would for a class, but we don't get in trouble for making each other laugh. Subscribe to Let's Learn Everything every other Thursday on Maximum Fun. Just in terms of like making those kinds of decisions or, or you know, being in a place where you put yourself in an adult situation and you don't know how to handle it like an adult, so to speak. And I, again, do not mean that in a disrespectful or talking down way to teenagers. I love yous. But, uh, but in talking, you know, in all the episodes that I've done, like there are definitely, you know, people who absolutely had the same experience I did, which was very much getting into trouble, very much making um, sort of existentially strange decisions and, you know, not necessarily knowing I was doing it at the time. And then I have people who um, kind of made those decisions later, like when their brains were still cooking and they were 21, they were doing all of the crazy things that in my mind, I'm like, well, I think I had matured past that when I was 13 because <laughs> I was really stupid when I was 13. And like all of those things that are so arbitrary. But creative people you know, 
there it's hard to I, one thing that I hear a lot is like I wouldn't take it back you know even though I could have died I wouldn't take it back or even though um I got bad grades I I can't I wouldn't take it back I wouldn't change stuff um and and I'm 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 just interested because you know a lot of the time we we give this credit to artists of like well they're living their life experience and then they're pouring that experience back into their work like is there a relationship between regret and lack of regret because of what you choose to do for a living as an adult like does that make any sense that's not even a question it's just sort of Mm -hmm. me meandering but yeah yeah i had thought about that when i was thinking about i mean when we were researching for this episode and all of your guests in the past and you know obviously a diversity of experiences and kinds of people and interests and stuff but you know a lot of them because they're artists would fall under the the kind of category of gifted right you Mm. know this idea I think of it now as such a minefield, but like, you know, some kids were pulled out. They're like, you're gifted, uh, whatever that means. And you got to go in these classes and other kids are normal in there. And this one and other kids have to be held back and all just how dicey that is. Oh, yeah. Um, But there's obviously a lot of research on what it means to be gifted or, you know, the, the newer term neurodivergent, which is associated with autism, but can also just mean sort of gifted in a way of like you're thinking about things differently and uh and there's research along those lines about how these are people for whom um a sense of of self uh and you know having this open-mindedness is a quality that that comes up a lot and and that sort of makes you more inclined to question things it makes you more inclined to push back against the status quo and that, obviously, when you're a young person who doesn't have, for example, the ability to vote or go live on your own, can cause a lot of problems. And so you see, this is um, from an article in Psychology Today by a psychiatrist named Grant Hillary Brenner. Uh, he writes about how, uh, quote, gifted individuals experience bias, at times stigmatized for their gifts, they're more likely to be bullied, increasing risk of emotional and relationship problems, which may reach clinical significance. Um and then he goes on to talk about how early life identity problems can show up and mental illness, all this stuff. I mean, it's no surprise to anyone that, that you know, being gifted, being creative is associated with a risk of mental illness. But it's also a question of just from an evolutionary standpoint, if it causes all these problems socially, if it causes all these problems kind of psychologically, how does that stuff continue to show up in the gene pool? Why haven't we weeded it out? Well... Being gifted obviously confers advantages, right? Like discovery and creation and um, and all those things show up. But it, it sort of means that we're always going to be saddled with these these kind of two sides of things. Well, for sure. But also, like, I would, I feel like, again, I do not have the data. I do not have the data to back this up. I'm speaking only from memory, which is very flawed, as we all know. Off the cuff. But I do feel like my guests, like, I feel like there's probably an equal number of people who were diagnosed with something like ADD or ADHD as were diagnosed quote unquote as being gifted and you know the and and why is like what if you're both or what if you're neither mm-hmm. or what if you are or what if you become what they say you are because your brain's still cooking and so someone tells you have ADHD and you feel like that's a judgment or you feel like that's like, well, you're just not, you can't learn the way we learn or, you know, you're gifted. So you, you're, you can, you're learning better than anyone else can learn. Like, how do we, I mean, Stephen, like, what do you, what do you think about that? Like, what do you, how do you approach that 
I mean, are we damaging our kids by putting those labels on them or? It's it it like I think I think there are so many. It's such a nuanced topic, right? Because when, in my time as a special education instructor who has also spent time working with school psychologists to make special education eligibility determinations, I think that kids get overdiagnosed with ADHD. Mm. I don't. Mm. I don't think that that is. And I ADD, think that is I guess, yeah, and ADD, be, yeah, and yeah. that's possible, and that is out there, and it's real. I think for some students, students. I think for some people who are very much accurately diagnosed. I'm not of the camp that this is like you know um, some like made up. It's. It, I. Right. I fully believe it's very very real. And okay. then even for some of those folks, medication in some cases can be like a total game changer and can literally like change lives. I also think that that's overprescribed. Anywho, yeah. I yeah. think that um, in terms of. I, I totally agree with you that, um, you know, being gifted and having something like ADD or ADHD, those two things are, are certainly not mutually exclusive. And if anything, sometimes they just naturally go along with one another. And when I was talking with Dennis about ADD and ADHD uh, in adolescents, especially in the ones that in his experience of working with adolescents, he brought up a really interesting perspective on this exact subject and i and i would really like to share that with you folks now why is it like a collection of traits wasn't weeded out by the gene pool adhd or add is only a thing now because it doesn't fit into the models that we have available like the modern school like mm -hmm. modern modern office culture doesn't match so well with it but if you think about like hunter gatherers and you're 40 and you're like ah I'm, you know I'm, i don't have much longer i'm checking out soon I'm, old age is hitting me you know and, and you got a kid who's 14 and eager to run up that mountain and doesn't want to sit and weave baskets all day and wants to like go explore the other side of the river and yeah and that's a real strength that's something oh, wow. that you're like, yeah man go look up that mountain i'm gonna chill right here i'm almost 40 you know <laughs> things yeah. are getting tough probably a real advantage during much of humanity. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's so cool. I mean, and I think it's like so empowering too to other kid to kids um who who are who are, who are living with ADD or ADHD too, right? Like I think that it in it in it, it's connects to all this other stuff we're talking about about teenagers about how everything is just sort of superimposed on this group that already is facing more pressure than you know kind of any other group hmm. out there yeah i really feel i mean unsurprisingly i already felt so much empathy and now i feel like even more so this is this is really cool <laughs> no it's really cool it's really been wonderful to put uh to put a little bit more of a, I don't know, just to put more of a philosophical overview on it because I am so in the weeds in such a way that I absolutely love when I'm talking to people and it's so personal and it's so about one unique experience and I'm like just, I'm, I'm just in and loving the juiciness of like the things that are feeling familiar to me because of past conversations I have or the feelings that, you know, I like like when we play mash and 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 there's like a string of similar answers that I can't necessarily explain why or there's a weird answer a weird and wonderful and I'm just using weird in a like general unusual kind of way with no judgment attached but a an answer that I've never heard and then you know in the course of three more years like other people 
it crops up with other people. The best example, as everyone knows, because I love to bring it up all the time on the podcast, is when people say that they were one of their first crushes who makes it into the MASH game. Uh, it was Robin Hood, was the Fox cartoon Robin Hood. Um, <laughs> and everyone sort of says it, not unlike the late bloomer thing, like everyone sort of, it, a lot of people say it like, uh, this is going to sound so weird or this is going to sound like disturbing or like, don't judge me, but, and then the, it's the best feeling in the world when I can be like, you're not even the first person to say it, dude, you're good. <laughs> like you're golden, yeah. you're part of something, you know? So I love, uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I, but, but not, but thinking about it from a, a 30,000 foot view rather than just being right down there, you know, face to face is like, it's very, um, I'm just loving this. So thank you so much. I did look that up. You did? Oh, my God. I did. That's I mean, amazing. we had talked about that before, and I was like, is there something to the phenomenon of people being attracted to the Robin Hood fox? From Yeah. Turns out it does show up. BuzzFeed did a thing about the sexiest Disney characters. Okay. A lot of oh, people wow. like that. There was a tweet from last year, a person who is Gen X, and, and had said that, that she was attracted to Robin Hood, and then a millennial friend said, what? And a Gen Z 11-year-old said, but that's illegal and so her point was like only gen x people are, are attracted to robin hood maybe that's uh the generational thing I disagree <laughs> but i disagree and i think that you're right because disney based the robin hood character on this medieval character called reynard the fox who was this trickster who got into all kind of trouble oh. all of these old stories about him basically being a con artist he was like the first sure. kind of weird anti-hero and he was just going around screwing over uh-huh. all of the other animals i think he stole a badger's penis i wow. can't remember all the stories <laughs> but there was a lot of he was up to some shit reynard was up to some shit uh-huh. and disney was like we love this guy but he Amazing. was a really popular character then now i dare you to tell me that in the medieval dutch uh, days that somebody wasn't feeling a little yeah. bit horny for Reynard the Fox. I think that's been with us as long as the desire to run up the mountain. Absolutely. I love that. And again, like, I, it, you know, you can take it all the way to uh, furries and you can, and, mm-hmm. and, and everything in between, like, again, spectrum. And, you know, whatever that's bringing up for people. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, look, I don't know. You, you know, w- Disney has had a massive effect on many people and, you know, I'm sure, and then and then anime has and like all that stuff gets all swirled together and um, no judgment for me no judgment I'm always excited like I really started because someone said that a long time ago like I feel like I started expanding out what I characterized crushes as being so now I make sure to include like cartoons and video game characters and animal like I don't care you know I want people to feel like liberated and able to say you know. I had a crush on Robin Hood or yeah. any other yeah. version of that's that. That's awesome. Um, like, it's, it, that's so cool. It's so great that you look that up. I love it. Renard hmm. the Fox. Got it. That reminds me, too, of something that the, uh, the psychologist I mentioned earlier, Brenner, had said. He was talking about gifted people, but, I mean, I think what we're talking about today, just as far as how do you reconcile what's biologically true, what's evolutionarily true about humans with the things that are social constructs and and again he was talking about gifted people but i think it's i think it's true for you know teenagers of of any stripe right like because they tend to be these little sponges and their brains are still cooking and he said this thing that i thought was that was really smart which is quote colluding with bullying neglect exclusion and other forms of adversity encountered by gifted people who often have the best intentions towards others 
is likely to produce more evil geniuses. We have enough already. Hmm. Hmm. So I think, you know, there's something to be said about, like, maybe we need to revise our sense of, of what's the best way to treat people and what kind of categories, you know, we're, we're thinking about now that are, especially in, in the light of the pandemic, that are so, um, you know, that, that have just made us rethink, like, how is society supposed to run? And if we just revert to all the old things, then we're going to yeah. have a lot of the same problems. I mean, the pandemic, that's that. it. Brandon, you actually uh, just reminded me of another study that I almost forgot to mention. Some news out of Stanford University uh, about a study published on December 1, 2022 in Biological Psychiatry, Global Open Science. And not to get too far into the weeds of this, they found that the brains of a certain like group of adolescents actually physically aged more during the pandemic right and they only saw this is not something that has never occurred before but typically it's under times of like abuse or stress or trauma so we we don't know about what ramifications the pandemic will have on this cohort of teens who were hardest hit by it in 10 to 15 years like are those folks going to be like what is their brain development going to look like and how what are they going to be like in the workforce in their mid-30s like we don't know any of that stuff yeah well i'm hoping for the best and maybe something really special will be born out of it you know that like we could never have seen coming because we were all worried that it was going to be a negative thing and then it turned out to be like this really kind of positive i i share a certain sense of like ho- hopeless optimism as well. I I I mean, like I I also I, yeah. I do believe that. <laughs> I really I really I, te- I I really flip flop on that all the time. It's like I'm very inconsistent about that. <laughs> yeah. But like Dennis okay. said, there's always going to be somebody who wants yeah. to run up the mountain. True. That's right. That's what, and we need it. We need it, guys. This has been so fun and so wonderful and such a great way to mark this 500th episode i am so happy that this worked out i'm so happy that mark and hal had you on and that this whole thing kind of that you're doing started um when it did because you know i it would have been just fine and wonderful and great to have you know just a great guest and it could have been you know the most famous person of the world or it could have been someone no one's ever heard of because it's just my neighbor like all of that would have been fine and great and good but um i love this to kind of like mark time in a, in a different way because this is I've never done anything like this on the podcast before so I'm really grateful for both of you to you know for having having made this so special and having made it a larger conversation and, and about something bigger well thank you for having us yes. on. we hope that your listeners now go back and listen to every episode again uh-huh. with <laughs> the light of this context new context right. on what a teenager is that's right spin it up that's right. And mm-hmm. at some point soon, an AI will be able to just amass all the factoids and put them into a beautiful little package and a series of graphs. And then we can, the three of us can get back together and really look, look at, at it. stats and say, okay, we have the data. We have the data. We'll we have the microfiche. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but until then, everybody, thanks for celebrating my 500th with us. And I'll talk to you next time on the podcast. I have to remember when you were probably, I don't know, six or seven years old, you came to me and said an outrageously stupid,
stagey name and said, what do you think of that? And I said, well, I don't know. What, what would that be for? And you said, maybe that's going to be my name when I'm in, on television or in movies. And I said, well, that's uh, an interesting name, but I have a suggestion for a name you might really like. Do you want to hear it? And you said, sure, Daddy. And I said, how about Janet Varney? And you said, oh, Dad, that's not a name that would ever be known in Hollywood or in television or movies. Well, on the eve of your 500th podcast, which is an astonishing number, I want you to know that the name Janet Varney is in Hollywood and on television and in the movies. And I'm really proud that you have reached that wonderful number, 500 podcasts, super. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported